We have started a new series. Anybody remember what it is? No. I know which. It didn't erase it. Still there, right? Please don't erase it. Didn't say that. Just please didn't erase. Don't erase. I didn't erase that. Please don't erase Moonfly. It is Daniel or John, but it's actually Daniel, okay? <laughs> Daniel, and do you remember first, tell me a little about Daniel. Where is he? Why is he there? <laughs> he is not. Not this time. Yes. Um, Daniel got taken by King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar took him, yes. Why? He was. Because he wanted smart people. He wanted smart people. He wanted to build a little super race of smart people. Okay? And when he wanted that super... Do you remember what that super race was called? The Nebuchadnezzarites. No. The Nebuchadnezzarites. No. I, the Chaldeans. Chaldeans. Okay? The Chaldeans were the name of that group. Okay, that was the supposed to be the wise seers. Now they came from all different cultures, all right, and so many of them believed in looking at messages in the stars and things like that. Okay, and an interesting thing that although they didn't necessarily follow always the Jewish wisdom or godly wisdom, God did use that opportunity at one point. Do you know how? He used the Chaldeans' knowledge and they had searched out and they found a new star. And when was that? When Jesus was born. All right, And that was ancient knowledge. And who came to worship him? The wise men. The magi, right? And these are the descendants of these people, or and or maybe not necessarily directly descendants. Could have been, though. But that group of people that passed down knowledge, okay? And Daniel was the leader of those magi, way, way back before Jesus was born, long, long time before, okay? And he was known as the master, okay? So the master of the Magi was Daniel, all right? Way before. Now, Daniel is not really in this particular story, but I want to talk about people, um, a couple of difficult people that I have dealt with in the past. Uh, there was a particular place I used to work, um, and I won't name the name of the place, although you probably all know it. Uh, there was a leader at that place. And that leader fancied himself to be extraordinary. All right? And he said that he was one of the most important people in the entire city. Okay? And he acted like it. And as I recall him walking one day with... He never walked alone, rarely. He always had an entourage of people all around him. 
he walked with a little air about him, and I recall the one day seeing him uh, in his suit. He had a, a fancy, expensive suit on, and some scarf wrapped around his neck as he walked outdoors on this path between this and all these people around and I thought to myself he's acting like he's a king it's very interesting when certain people get uh, power they don't do well with it they take it and something inside of their head grows larger than their skull, usually, okay? And it is their ego, oftentimes, grows huge. Now, I know this personally because I know that some people that worked for him and did the things that he needed done to keep his space and uh, home and all these things working and operating, uh, he was very, very rude to them. And essentially owed them an apology for what they did and refused to do it. Doesn't need to apologize because he's important. That's how he felt, anyways. When you get somebody that's a really arrogant leader, it is difficult to deal with them and their head begins to grow. Now you remember last week, what happened to Nebuchadnezzar? Something happened to him. I'm going to write it up here once. I always spell it a little wrong, but I think I got it today. Good practicing. All right. <laughs> so what happened to him last week? You remember Daniel? He had a, a dream, okay? And what did the dream tell him? Daniel was the only one who could tell what the dream was because he said to all the Chaldeans, either you tell me what it is or die. And what was the dream? That would be, well, do you mean like what the dream was about or what? Both. Mean? Okay. So the dream was about a statue, the gold head, uh, silver midsection, yep. bronze legs, and then clay and iron feet. Okay, yep. And so gold, silver, bronze, iron, and clay. And what did it mean? Um, that, that it ranked the cities in Nebuchadnezzar was on the top, and then all the people below, and Nebuchadnezzar was gold, so because he, he was the strongest and the most important. Right. All right. So here he is. Oh, the boulder is still down. Yeah. All right. And this beautiful guy. He's beautiful. Okay. And chopped up basically in those pieces, okay? And the golden head, these were different kingdoms of the ages. The golden head was Babylon, okay? Greece. Greece was the next one. Well, Medes and the Persians were the next one. Greece was bronze, and the iron was Rome, okay? Iron and the clay together. So iron were the legs all the way down till the feet and the feet and the toes started mixing clay and iron showing weakness, okay? Rome was an, a nation known for its power and strength until it essentially rotted from the inside out by being 
by having bad leaders and by making bad choices and by essentially corrupting the entire nation of Rome, um, it was an amazing thing that it did. Rome did amazing things. We'll see more of that later on. Okay, but for this, he gets his golden head. And Nebuchadnezzar starts to think about him as the golden head. That's the problem. He now knows through this dream that God has said, of all the kingdoms in the earth, Babylon is the most impressive as far as that goes. But again, we also saw at the end of the dream, what? The stone came, landed on the foot, and crushed all of them to powder, right? And that was Christ. So the kingdom of God makes the best kingdoms of mankind all put together into nothing in one second, all right? But Nebuchadnezzar just can think of that golden head. Really, that's where he is like, oh man, I am an amazing leader. I'm incredible. What I've done here is created this most amazing kingdom. And he did. And he built these big hanging gardens. And he built this big, the golden city of Babylon. Okay? He built it. And it was incredible. And so what do people with big heads do? They say they don't fit through the door, right? What do they do? Leaders with big heads and lots of money. I'll tell you what happened where I worked in the past. They built big, fancy buildings and lots of signs. We once had this sign that we built. And it was for a, a person who was supposed to have given a lot of money. And they put, it was made of stone and carved his name out of it and had lights. We put lights in the sidewalk that shined up on his name and had fancy bricks around everything. And this was like a limestone sign. Well, limestone has multiple different shades. And when it gets wet, some of those different textures and shades change. The interesting thing was this sign had a big streak through the middle of it when it got wet. A dark gray streak. It's rock, that's what rock does, right? Limestone sucks water in. Well, they were panicking because it covered up part of his name or made, didn't make it stand out as much. And so we had to build a tent over top of this for days and we brought, we brought wire out to it and temporary power and we ran heaters to dry the rock to make it look like it was all that nice uniform gray because we couldn't have this guy thinking that his sign was perfect because he had money okay it's interesting people like to build shrines to themselves when they get a big head Shrine just means I built something. I built a big house. I built a big statue. I built a big building. I built a campus. I built whatever. Because I am important. 
and I am going to tell you how important I am. I'm going to show you how important I am. All right? When people get a big head, so Nebuchadnezzar is thinking all about his golden head, and he says, I've got to do something appropriate for what I've done, who I am. It only is appropriate if it's magnificent. And so he begins to put together a plan and he starts to say, I'm going to build a huge statue to myself. And then when it's all done, it will be so magnificent and people will look at it, they will have to bow down because it's fantastic. And they will know that King Nebuchadnezzar is their king. Sounds like a plan. Kind of dumb plan, but it's a plan, all right? And so he's not going to build a 10-foot tall statue. He's not going to build a 50-foot tall statue. It ends up that he is going to create a statue. We'll say, instead of gold and silver and all this, he creates a statue that is 90 feet high. Okay? Just to give you a perspective, if you're standing somewhere down in the village or down on the road, all right, and you were to look up to the tip of the steeple, that's how tall his statue was. That's a very big statue. But it's not just any old statue. I'm going to make it out of gold. Because I'm fantastic. And I'm the golden head. Right? I'm the best kingdom there ever was. So... In his arrogance, he builds this 90-foot-tall statue. It's nine feet wide out of gold. Now, how do you go about building something out of gold that's 90 feet tall and nine feet wide? It's a pretty spectacular thing. First of all, how much gold is that? It's thousands of pounds of gold. You could melt whole cars down, trucks and cars, and you'd have to stack cars on top, like five or six trucks on their bumpers to get that high. If you melted down thousands and thousands of pounds of gold, he's showing off his wealth. Look at what I am. Solid gold statue. Look how fabulous I am. Now, we don't know exactly what it was of. It could have been an image of himself, a big mug, right? It could have been some other thing representing him. It could have been, you know, his face stacked on this great big bodybuilder thing to show how fantastic he was. Whatever it was, he expected that the whole kingdom would just say, isn't he fantastic? It's amazing. And so he builds this. So how do you get that much gold all put together? Well, gold doesn't stick with glue, okay, right? And they don't probably have glue like that. Uh, there's no super glue to take all these little chunks of gold, whether it's things that they found or golden ore from um, mine down the hill. So how do they do it? Anybody know? Heat it up. You melt it and you cast it into a mold. All right? 
So I will tell you, I've been to um, I've been to some ovens in Connecticut, in particular. All right. And these ovens are shaped sort of like this. And in the bottom of these ovens, these the particular ovens that I saw were built of stone, okay? And the tops of these ovens are big stone with a hole in the top, okay? And inside, now one side would have access enough where they could get inside and they would take gold ore, or in this case, the ovens I've seen were for steel. They would take steel ore and they would put it inside, okay? So inside there would be piles of the steel elevated in enough so up above the fire they could get the fire hot enough to melt the steel. Same thing goes with gold. Out of the bottom of these, that hot, hot, molten uh, whether it was steel or gold, they would come out of channel and off of the channel for steel um, they would have these little trenches and as that they built fires inside and they added fire. Now what happens is that the air drafts through here and drafts up like this and that's how they get the intense heat because you guys have all, many of you have had a chance to do things in the blacksmith shop down there. How do you get the fire hot? Pull on the bellows or crank the crank, right? You're dumping air in there, fast air, so you need draft to create heat out of whatever fuel you're using. So this is what they'd do. They'd build huge, huge fires in there. They'd heat it up. They'd melt that steel, or gold in his case, and with the steel, it would come out this little channel and that channel would be in a clay or in a stone um, mold. And as it hit there, it would go through and pour into these and fill these up. Now, just for interest's sake, um, this was raw cast steel that they used to do. And these, they thought, looked like little baby suckling pigs. And so they called it pig iron. Okay, and that's how originally it got its name. But the same concept goes with this. They build these furnaces and they've got to build a mold that's going to be 90 feet long, all right, and nine feet wide. Or they might be able to cast it in sections if they have it so that it will fit together. Either way, they're casting huge pieces of gold, probably beyond the size of this room, each piece, and maybe as much as 90 feet in one piece. We don't know exactly. Either way, it's a spectacular feat that they did. Thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of pounds of gold. Just keep throwing it in there because we need a big statue of Nebuchadnezzar. Sounds great. And so they do. They melt it and they melt it and they may have had multiple ovens like this furnaces to be able to do this, all right? And so as you go, you keep feeding. Now they may also have had access. They probably had some sort of ramp. I'm not doing a good job creating a ramp here. But either way, they'd have a ramp to the ground so they could get up and continue to feed the fire or feed from, from the uh, bottom, 
all right? One or the other, they're gonna have access to that. So this is an important thing because Nebuchadnezzar says, I'm important, I'm wonderful, here I am, you're gonna build this big gold statue and then you're all, we're gonna play music and then when the music stops, everybody bows down. Sounds like a great plan. Let's do it. We're going to make a big thing of it. So let's go to Daniel chapter 3, verse number 3 through 7, please. Who he calls in are all the important people in his kingdom so that they can all share in his joy. <laughs> chapter 3, verse number 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7, please. Then the princess, the governors, and the captains the judges, the treasurers, and the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces were gathered together unto the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald cried aloud to you, It is commanded, O people, nations, and languages, that on what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, Heart, sack, butt. Sack, yeah. <laughs> it's a stringed instrument. What is the... Psaltery, another type, yep. Yeah. The and all kinds of music. Music? Music, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So we're in verse four. Six. Six. Wait. Yes. Verse six. I thought we were going from one to six. Three. Nope. Three to seven. And who so falleth not down and worshipeth shall the same hour be cast into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. Therefore, at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the cornet, the flute, the or harp. Sackbutt, psaltery, and all kinds of music, all the people of the, the people, the nations, and the languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Alright, there it is. Now the story's pretty simple. You do it just like last week. You do it or you die. Right? This is this seems to be a theme that Nebuchadnezzar keeps doing. Do this that I want you to do, or I'll kill you. Simple, right? But hard to deal with when you're anybody else but Nebuchadnezzar, right? Because you never know who he's going to turn against. So Nebuchadnezzar calls it. We have a big thing. We're going to have all these stringed instruments. It's going to play beautiful music, and then we're all going to stop. Everybody's going to bow down. I have this picture in my head, he says, and it's fantastic. Everyone will know that I'm the king. Everybody will know. And so, everybody bows down. Except three people. All right? Now, Daniel's not in this story. We don't know whether he was out of town at the time this happened, on away on business, for the kingdom, we have no idea, but he's not written into this story. It is his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, okay? We call them SMA. The three friends that have stood by Daniel from the beginning. And when, he, when they refuse to bow, other people look and say, it's not the king that finds him. 
it is other people that turn them in. All right? Other people turn them in and say, they didn't bow. And so the king is enraged because his perfect plan didn't work out very well. All right? It didn't work out very well. Uh, verse number 13, Then Nebuchadnezzar, in his rage and fury, commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto him, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Do, ye, do not ye serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? Now, if you be ready, at what time you hear the sound, the cornet, the flute, the harp, the sapphire, the psaltery, the dulcimer, and all kinds of music, you fall down and worship the image which I have made well. But if you worship not, you shall be cast the same hour into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? I'm going to throw you in if you do. I'll give you one last chance. This is it. You see what a kind guy I am? I'm going to give you a chance before I burn you to death. All you have to do is bend down. It's really not a big deal. It's very simple. And here is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. What are they going to do? Verse 19. Uh, I'm sorry, verse 17, uh, 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thy hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury, and the form of his visage was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. In other words, he got angry, and everybody could see it in his face. All right, how angry he was. We don't know what he looked like when he was angry, but everybody knew it. Therefore he spake and commanded that they should heat the furnace one seven times more than it was wont to be heated. All right, and so grab these guys, take this furnace, load it up with seven times the fuel that you need to melt the gold, and shove those guys in there right now. Bind them drag them up to the furnace, and chuck them in there. All right? And so they did. And he is just absolutely furious. So they throw them in. The guys that take them to the furnace to throw them in, because it's so hot, these warriors, as they pick the mightiest guys in his army, they die because it's so hot. They chuck in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and in their last breath, suck in the heat and the flames. Now, they say in a house fire, if you stand up, all right, and the reason they say don't stand up is because if you stand up, a house fire can be 150 degrees on the ground if you're laying flat. If you stand up, it can be seven or 800 degrees in a room that's engulfed in flames or has that type of intense heat in it, and it will essentially melt your lungs. You breathe in one breath and you'll die. No doubt, that's what these men did, came up and as they breathed, 
Now we're all asked to throw them in this fire, chuck them in, and they're done. They die. Drop dead. So there's all these guys dropping down, at least three of them brought them up there, maybe six of them dragged them up and threw them in there, and the guys dropped dead, and Nebuchadnezzar looks in that furnace, and he sees there are the there are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego walking around in the fire. All right, they're walking around in the fire, and there's somebody else in there. And Nebuchadnezzar looks and says, didn't we throw three of them in there? Yep. How come there's a fourth one? And now I don't know how he knows this, but what he says is it looks like he's some sort of God in there. Something in Nebuchadnezzar's mind triggers, and he says, it looks like a son of God in there. Well, guess who it was? It was the son of God. Jesus was walking around there with him. Before Jesus ever came to earth as a man coming with, to die, Jesus showed up a few times in the Old Testament. And you see him a few times popping through for a moment. What did he say to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? I don't know. Maybe it was, great job. Maybe it was, I'm with you to the end. Maybe it was something amazing. I'd like to have heard that, what he said. Either way, Nebuchadnezzar calls them out of the furnace, and out they come. Not even their hair is singed. Clothes don't smell like smoke. Now last Friday night, I sat around a campfire. My shirt smelled like smoke, just from sitting there. Okay, If I'm walking in the fire, something's going to burn. But it didn't. And they trusted that God would handle it, whether he killed them or not. They stood for what was right. And I say it's a very simple thing to do, but it's a very difficult thing to do. What Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did was use their faith in God to stand, be thrown in the fire, whatever it takes, trust that God would handle the situation one way or another for him. And in this case, he chose to keep them alive, keep them unburned, keep them just fine, and walk right out of the fire and talk to Nebuchadnezzar again. There are many Christians who were burned that did not live at other times in history. But for this case of faith, he took them. So you do not know what God will do. But you do know that God is good. And you do know that God loves you. And so if you have faith and you believe that God loves you and will do what is right, then you trust that God can walk you through whatever it is. Whether it is an angry, overbearing leader with a big head. Whether that's somebody in your life, some professor, teacher, person in your life, some leader in your life, whatever it is, God can help you through with those situations. Keep your head and keep your faith. The big deal is to believe that God can help you through. Like I said, it's simple to understand what you need to do. You can say, well, that's an easy story. Uh, yeah, it's, the difficult part is to do it. To 
actually believe enough to stand in your life. And sometimes you'll be put to the test in your life. Somewhere along the line, you will have something you will need to stand for. Maybe sooner than you think. You will need to stand for something and say, here's what I need to do. All right? When God gives you that opportunity, what do you do? How do you do it? What do you stand for? Will you be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who say, whatever it is, whatever happens, I'm going to believe and trust God. And he handles it. He takes care of it through an amazing set of miracles. They come out. They walk out. Of course, the fourth one's gone. And when they do that, Nebuchadnezzar makes a decree that the entire kingdom shall now serve this God. But Nebuchadnezzar's not done yet. Nebuchadnezzar is going to fall, and he is going to fall hard when he finally comes down, if he can't control his arrogance. And that is exactly what challenge he's going to have coming next week. So we see Nebuchadnezzar picked up next week. Thank you very much.